Hi and welcome back to the Excel Insights podcast series. Hope you had a chance to listen to last session which was on health tech, Excel's view on health tech. And we talked a little bit about our cross-border investment themes. So we have a handful of cross-border investments in a couple of different areas. One of them is health tech and the other is enterprise software. So today we are going to be talking to Dinesh, uh, my partner, on the cross-border enterprise software related investments. So Dinesh uh, is a successful entrepreneur, a couple of startups in the past and joined us close to a decade back now. And he works with our startups, which are cross-border between here and the US. So we'll focus on that corridor for today. And he works with companies like MindTickle, Similarity, Entitle, Zineer, just to name a few. You can Google these later and, and more, more such companies. So he works with them on how to set up this cross-border and how to scale that. And so excited to have Dinesh with us here. Dinesh, welcome to the podcast. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wonderful to be, to be here. Maybe, uh, maybe you can start with a quick background of yourself and then we'll jump into the cross-border investments. Yeah. Yeah, so so I, um, I've actually been based in Silicon Valley now for, for actually 30 years, uh, which uh, amongst other things shows how old I am. Um, I went there as a, as a student and uh, you know, I mean, this was an incredibly exciting time. You know, the, you know, while I was a student, uh, we got to play with the first internet uh, browsers, you know, uh, things called Mosaic uh, that came out of uh, uh, this, uh, this university in the Midwest. Um, you know, a lot of the, the folks that actually went on to, to start uh, companies like uh, Yahoo and Google were, were, were students uh, there at the same time. Um, so incredibly uh, exciting uh, place to be. I graduated and then I, I you know, Silicon Valley was, was really uh, humming. Uh, so um, I, I stayed on uh, and then um, had an opportunity to jump into the entrepreneurial side. I you know, started a company several years ago and uh, again got, uh, got uh, very lucky with that first one. We were, uh, we were acquired uh, by, a, by a public company in Silicon Valley. Um, so over the years, you know, ended up uh, spending a lot of time on the entrepreneurial side of things. Um, also uh, got a chance to work uh, with this very early fund in India called Erasmic. Uh, and this was now probably almost 14, 15 years ago. Uh, Erasmic, of course, went on to become uh, the Axel India team. Uh, and uh, I think about seven, eight years ago, uh, the Axel India team decided to be really, uh, you know, how they wanted to position themselves to be very helpful to entrepreneurs from India who had global ambitions. Uh, and as part of that, uh, I had an opportunity to, to join the team and uh, continue to work uh, out of uh, Silicon Valley. Awesome. Thanks for the background. So maybe let's talk about what are, uh, I touched upon it, but what are the types of companies that are amenable to cross-border? Right. I, I mean, I think uh, over time, hopefully cross-border won't even matter, right? You know, we, we'll have a shot at creating uh, pretty much any kind of company that uh, uh, that has an addressable uh, market. But today, you know, we, we, have to, we have to really try and stick close to uh, areas where we think we can create meaningful uh, advantages. Um, we've already started seeing some uh, patterns. Um, so, for instance, you know, companies like um, uh, Freshworks, uh, Chargebee, I mean, there's a whole segment uh, of companies in our portfolio that have uh, figured out uh, how to really address the mid-market opportunity in the U.S. Uh, and, and in fact, you know, credit goes to, to companies like Zoho, who, who really over time, you know, sort of pioneered that model uh, from, from India. Uh, it, you know, it, it just takes a very different mindset to, to really crack that market. It's not just about the product. It's really about using technology to address the complete life cycle of that customer uh, right from the moment uh, they, uh, they hear about, uh, about your product. Um, and, and so to, to be a winner uh, in, in that segment, one really has to be able to attract customers, onboard them, and serve them very, very efficiently. Uh, and, and, and today there's a much bigger opportunity to leverage technology to, to address that. So, so that whole mid-market uh, segment is, is one big uh, category. 
Um, another area that we that we see a lot of uh, interesting companies emerging is uh, uh, in vertical SaaS. So again, I think we have the right ingredients here. I mean, if you think about any software stack that powers any vertical uh, industry around the world, you know, we literally um, have uh, more than half of the people who build and support those stacks uh, here in India. Yeah. So, so there's a phenomenal amount of uh, uh, expertise in understanding how those workflows work as they are today. And now if you combine that with modern product sensibilities and, and you know, sort of modern product uh, thinking, uh, you know, trying to take advantage of, of uh, mobile interfaces, um, I think we have a genuine shot at, at, at uh, going back and helping these uh, industries through this sort of large digital transformation phase that, that, uh, that they're going through. Uh, and again, you know, we've started seeing uh, several uh, companies uh, in that uh, segment and uh, we'll, uh, I'm very sure we'll see uh, some interesting winners uh, in that uh, space. Um, lastly, I, I think there is also a, you know, a segment of, you know, for lack of a better word, I might call it a sort of niche uh, SaaS. You know, so these are things where at first glance, they might not seem like a very large market opportunity. And perhaps because of that, they might get, uh, you know, sort of underserved um, in, uh, in the U.S. Um, I think that's an interesting uh, area for us, uh, for us to, to, to invest in. Uh, yeah, not in all cases, but, but sometimes, uh, you know, that niche opportunity uh, allows you to insert yourself into an enterprise and over time expand that into a very you know, meaningful uh, market opportunity. Um, and of course, you know, sort of mind tickle is, is in, in, in my portfolio is a very classic example where uh, sort of sales enablement, sales readiness, uh, you know, when they started was not really perceived as being a you know, wide enough market opportunity, especially when platforms like Salesforce were, were becoming uh, very dominant. Uh, and yet over time, they've been able to, to demonstrate that in fact, it, it's, it's a very uh, nice uh, uh, opportunity to get in to these enterprises and, and over time uh, get more of their spend on there. Got it. So these are all the enterprise software opportunities, if I were to put them in a bucket. Right. Right. So mid-market opportunities uh, and then vertical SaaS and niche SaaS, SaaS right? So maybe uh, give us an example in each of these so that for the people who are not familiar, audience who are not familiar with uh, this, these spaces, what do we need by mid-market opportunities? Maybe you want to start up that sells into that. And then see with vertical right. sets. Right, and, and you know, so so I think for for, for mid market, you know, again, you know, we were fortunate enough to uh, to back uh, Girish when he when he started uh, Freshdesk, and you know, Freshdesk now Freshworks is, is obviously a phenomenal example of how one can create products that. Uh, uh, are uh, incredibly valuable to the mid-market, uh, but uh, you simply cannot throw over a product and, and hope that the customer is actually going to onboard themselves, self-serve themselves, and, 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 and be able to use the product um, efficiently. And yet, if you, if, you, uh, if you took the approach of doing all of that with large customer support organizations, uh, with large sort of you know, field service teams, uh, the economics are not really viable. So, so that's really uh, you know where uh, the Freshworks and and, and uh, other companies have done a great job of going after that segment, but with that product mindset for that full um, life cycle. Got it. Sorry, I want to stick with that. I'm going to talk to some of these companies down the road, but let's take Freshworks and mid market when we say and we say no enterprise sales. Yeah. Like why is that? And what's the India advantage? Right, right. So, yeah. so, 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 unfortunately, you know, enterprise sales you know ends up being a very uh, expensive you know sort of hand to hand combat you know style of. Uh, of selling, uh, and if you're uh, if you're doing that in a market like the U.S., uh, where obviously the costs of, of, of uh, building teams and operating them is is high, uh, uh, for instance, you know people typically expect uh, salespeople to hit a million dollar or plus, uh, you know, kind of quota to make that a sustainable uh, business. So each sales guy has to make exactly dollars of exactly because yeah. uh, you know the amount of time that they have to spend uh, inside these accounts, you know, moving uh, you know moving through this these long sales cycles, and of course a lot of them actually not uh, not panning out. Uh, uh, the only way to make the 
economics work is that eventually the customer has to be willing to pay a pretty significant uh, price point. Uh, and, so, and, and for a lot of uh, companies uh, in the US, uh, they actually see that as a natural way of growth, moving into larger enterprises, moving into these larger accounts. Uh, but what companies like uh, Zoho and uh, Freshworks have demonstrated is that uh, you, know, you can really build large substantial businesses by staying very focused on the mid-market. But it takes discipline. Right? For, for example, uh, one of the simplest uh, things that takes discipline is you actually have to ignore the feature requests from your largest customers. Mm -hmm. Because these are exactly the customers that are trending into enterprise scale. They want these enterprise-grade features from you. And the moment you start reacting to that, you in fact start building the enterprise-grade solution that your mid-market is going to be very disappointed in, will, will find bloated, uh, will then find overpriced and so on. Um, so so there, are, there are these uh, you know, very key elements and that, uh, uh, that the team really has to sort of stay focused on uh, in order to serve that. Uh, so instead of going after a few hundred or a few thousand customers who are large, will pay you a lot of dollars exactly. per account. Right. We are, we are sticking to these tens of thousands of smaller customers, right. medium to small customers, but providing slightly uh, a software product that's suitable for them. Exactly. And not over-optimizing their internet. Absolutely. Got it. And, and, investing, and investing in everything else it takes to be able to serve customers at those numbers in the mm -hmm. tens of thousands uh, without incurring uh, you know, heavy uh, human cost. Got it. So you talked about product and tech talent advantage that India has, right, on, on creating these ones. What else does what what else is the advantage of serving these mid market customers so, out of India? Right. So, so, so sales you refer to, but how does absolutely? Sales so, 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 so I think you know one of the things that's happened you know thanks uh, you know thanks to, uh, to to the internet and online demand gen and also with the growth of the inside sales model is that we now really have this opportunity to. to drive our funnel uh, through some of the best uh, online uh, you know, demand gen uh, techniques to serve a good chunk of the market uh, through an efficient uh, inside sales channel and really minimize uh, the sort of cost burden uh, on closing these, uh, these accounts. Uh, and, and so the amount of uh, money that has to be invested for on-the-ground resources uh, in markets like the US and Europe uh, ends up uh, getting fairly minimized. So people discover on the internet and then you close over the phone, <laughs> right? Exactly. Okay, so that's the inside sales model. So, and then uh, any distinctions between this and vertical SaaS and niche SaaS that you mentioned from the context of either developing the product or from the point of view of selling, is it the same? Right. I think uh, what we've discovered uh, in, in, in these two other segments, the one interesting differentiator is that, you know, you can in fact uh, uh, incur the enterprise sales expense, uh, you know, so uh, for instance, uh, in, in, in vertical SaaS, uh, uh, one of our portfolio companies is a company called Xenia, uh, which uh, sells field service optimization solutions for the telco industry. Mm. Um, they now have several million dollar deals, uh, deals that they have closed, deals that are, that are in the pipeline. Uh, and these are, you know, these are not deals that you could close over the phone. So, so this, you know, this really does require an enterprise sales effort. But the advantage, uh, the, sort of the India advantage here was uh, that in order to build these solutions that uh, telcos are willing to adopt, uh, it's very hard to just build and throw over a nice, beautiful solution. Uh, these industries expect you to really have spent time and effort in terms of understanding how uh, their workflows work today, mm -hmm. understanding what their software stack uh, is, is today. Um, so for instance, uh, two different uh, customers of this company um, actually uh, mentioned how they were uh, amazed by how quickly Zener was able to work with their existing uh, uh, nut uh, 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 solution that they had in, the, in, in their backend. Um, 
and uh, uh, that, that was only possible because uh, Zinia was able to tap into a lot of talent uh, in India that has in fact uh, been working with these solutions for many years. Um, and so this goes back to, to you know both combining combining that interesting India advantage. But in this case, uh, you know you, you could even incur the higher uh, you know, sort of expense sales model. Uh, but you are now still able to go after an opportunity that is perhaps less uh, well served by companies that might be starting in places like uh, Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that there's a, there's a similar uh, dynamic uh, that's also available in some of these sort of niche uh, niche solutions. Um, I think for the SME market, you know, you really do have to, to stick to the more efficient uh, you know, sort of sales model. Maybe when talking about product market fit, how is it different, US and India? Is it, does it make sense to build in India first and try it out with customers here and then scale it? What's, what's, what are your learnings? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I guess I'm a firm believer that, that product market fit, unfortunately, is no longer exportable the, mm. way, the way it used to be. Uh, but product, uh, so, so what I mean is that if, if you found product market fit in India uh, today, it is, it is only in rare circumstances that that uh, fit really translates into the U.S. environment. And, and maybe that's also because to me, uh, product market fit is not, uh, it's not about whether a product addresses a pain. Uh, product market fit today really has to solve for product plus messaging plus sales efficiency. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, maybe until 15 years ago or so, these were very sort of serialized processes, right? You know, I could identify a pain, I could build a product, um, I could figure out how to message it, and then I could hire people to, to sell it. Um, I think today, unfortunately, you know, we live in a world where uh, that model simply doesn't work. You know, you really, really have to solve for the efficiency of how your prospects are going to uh, even discover that you exist, uh, you know, learn about your product, uh, you know, sort of uh, uh, move along that whole journey towards where they'll eventually uh, you know, pull out their checkbook and uh, uh, and pay for the product and, 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 and even beyond in terms of how they really engage with the product, how uh, you might actually uh, upsell other things. So uh, I think uh, the, the challenge is uh, building a product simply by focusing on the pain point of the customer uh, is now, I feel, uh, not enough. Uh, and and the rest of that, you know, sort of trying to discover how I can uh, be efficient about closing the gap between my product and, and the customer, that really uh, today is very different in the Indian market and, and, and the US market. So the, 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 these discovery conversations are not just about product is what I'm hearing. It's also about how... How does it fit within the overall scheme, budgets, and what else? What else do these guys? Uh, right, right. So, so, so one uh, one way that we we try but to give an example also, if possible. Yeah. Right? So, so I think one way that we try to frame yeah. this is is you know imagine that you have to really like you know, all that you're allowed to put in front of a prospect is a one page uh, product sheet. Yeah. You know, how do you try to boil the essence of all of the the value that you're trying to create, all of the pain that you're trying to address, uh, boil it down to a single sheet, get it in front of, of, of 50 people who you think are the folks that are the likely uh, people to, to spend money on this uh, solution, and start getting their reactions, right? And and, and, and that's where I, I think one does the most learning in terms of uh, uh, where is budget, where is thinking. You, you, you might discover that there are sort of certain subsets of the landscape where those messages you know, uh, are, are a lot more effective, then can you actually double down on those landscapes? Um, again, a sort of simple example, you know, when, when um, uh, MyTickle's uh, product uh, in the US, in fact, you know, it went through a, a pivot from you know, the, their initial product market fit in India, uh, in fact, it did not translate uh, in the US, they had to rediscover that. Uh, but once they rediscovered that, uh, they also uh, discovered that uh, their solution, which was in this sort of sales enablement, sales readiness uh, space, uh, one incredible uh, filter was companies that had already made their first sales enablement hire. Mm. Now, even though in theory the product applied to anybody who had salespeople, 
just that one filter, which was uh, which was very easy to infer from LinkedIn, suddenly you know narrows your focus onto a set of companies that internally have bought into the value of this function, have already made monetary uh, you know commitment to that landscape, and suddenly the, the efficiency on that landscape was dramatically higher than than the typical conversation. But it's important to to be in these conversations to to infer these, right? You know, I mean, so it's very hard to get these insights, you know, simply, you know, sort of uh, sitting remotely and uh, and through Google searches, uh, which is why I, I think it's very important to have uh, to have those conversations. Uh, it's also very important to to be listening in those conversations, right? And you know, sometimes uh, as an entrepreneur who's put a lot of uh, blood and sweat into a product, you know, you're really trying to to sell. Mm. But I do think that in that initial uh, you know set of conversations, you have to be an incredibly patient listener. You have to really try and ask uh, smart questions. You're not trying uh, to close revenue. You're actually trying uh, to to accelerate your journey of discovery. Um, the whole process. And how does a founder do it sitting out of India? Oh, it is it is tough, right? And 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 so again, you know, both both Shekhar and I are very firm believers that if you're trying to build a global company, you know, obviously in some cases, you know, you might be able to set up a founding team that has a presence in both uh, in both geographies, uh, but in many cases, uh, you don't. Uh, but I think it's important to so, for instance, you know, let's say whatever your 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 seed investment or your first investment is. Uh, instead of saying that hey, ninety percent of it goes into product, right, and and ten percent is for the rest, um, I think you have to appreciate the fact that uh, it is very important to have these conversations. It's very important to allocate time and budget uh, for you know, the founders or, or people in that initial team to actually go and have these uh, discovery um, conversations. Uh, I think sometimes it's very tempting uh, to you know just in terms of relative cost to say oh you know I'll do that later. No, let me just try and and, and build my my product first. Uh, but uh, you know uh, that's what we try. You know we we, we try to influence uh, the entrepreneurs' thinking into really uh, realizing that that is a wise investment upfront. Yeah. It, it is not you know it's not a it's not a waste of uh, uh, you know you will really save a lot of time and effort uh, later on if you're willing to make some of these uh, investments. Really understand the customer, not only from the product but the journey in their head and in their organization how they're going to buy. Yeah. Right? yeah. But is it the same for uh, these various segments you talked about, like like uh, for a product? I would I would call it consumerized SaaS company like Freshworks, is different from a is it different from a, a more deeper company like Zinier where you're right, saying right. yeah I think I think there are there are differences right um, and uh, I think in certain cases uh, what you're relying on is perhaps not uh, the innovation within the product itself but but it's innovation across uh, across the entire uh, you know, sort of journey of uh, um, you know sort of prospect to uh, uh, to, to customer um, and. Uh, uh, so, so the discovery for that is, is slightly different, right? You, know, you perhaps you don't need to really understand how people think of uh, spending money. Uh, where does it come from? A budget. In some ways, for that part of the universe, you are uh, perhaps following uh, a template that is relatively well known, and, and and that kind of discovery is is easy. But but typically, I mean, there's still a certain part uh, of your solution where you are trying to be innovative, uh, and you you have to try and make sure that you build conviction around that uh, that innovation. If the innovation is around um, you know, online demand and being able to tap into a customer base incredibly efficiently or being able to create, let's say, appeal amongst the developer community, uh, the metrics for those can be different. And some of them are actually a lot more amenable for being able to, uh, you know, for discoverability from, from India. Uh, for instance, I, I, I think that within the, within the developer tools ecosystem, um, I, you know, I think we, you know, we are incredibly capable of, of really driving a lot of that innovation. And a lot of that innovation, we actually do not need to, to spend a whole lot of time outside of India. 
Um, so no, I, I agree. I mean, that's, that's because the number tools people discover and buy. They already know what they can Absolutely, and and we have access to an incredibly large developer community within India. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you're talking about uh, you know uh, early feedback, you know, and, and does it truly uh, take care of the developers' frustrations? I think there one can close the loop a whole lot more more efficiently. Got it. So there are some ma- markets. What I was trying to understand is there are markets where it's already well understood, and it's more you you need to get on that shopping or comparison list, exactly. right? Those yeah. are. Probably ones where you could they could yeah. compare a developer could compare yeah. uh, your tool versus some a new startup tool versus some established one and make a purchase decision. Okay. Whereas in the telco case that you talked about, engineer, it's a lot more involved sale. So depending on that, the founder needs to talk to the right set of customers, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So just to close out on that, that that's that's good advice. And also, how about hiring the team? Like when do they hire? In the U.S., how do you get the culture right across? Like these two questions are maybe when do they start hiring in the U.S. and and then we'll go into the other one. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I do think you really want to try and, and try and build a, a global team as, as soon as you can afford to. Uh, obviously, you know, we, we don't always have uh, have that luxury. Uh, but I think the the most uh, in the early days of, of a startup, I feel like the right kind of talent that you need is really folks who have a bit more of the uh, you know, I'll do what it takes kind of an attitude. Mm. And 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 uh, whereas I think the natural tendency tends to be that. Uh, all right, you know, I'm now ready. Let me hire. You know, let me do my first hire in the U.S. And I need to hire a salesperson. Uh, I frankly believe that, that there is very few cases where that's the right answer. That the first hire in the U.S. is is a salesperson. Um, I really ha- think that the ideal first hire in the U.S. is actually a co-founder. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, easier said than done. But mm-hmm. but but really, you know, how you know how does one get somebody who has that right? combination of uh, hustle of you know uh, strengths in terms of you know outbound uh, you know skill sets and a bit of that you know do what it takes um, attitude uh, you you know you're trying to build a, a company you're going to be putting lots of uh, you know years of uh, uh, you know uh, blood and sweat and tears into it you want to maximize the odds of, of success and and i think that's where you really have to be honest about what kind of a global team will will give you that uh, you know heightened uh, odds of success? Uh, and again, sometimes I feel like uh, uh, you know we we tend to be uh, you know, so, sort of somewhat uh, reluctant to to spend the kind of money that unfortunately one needs to spend to to uh, get good talent uh, in the U.S. Um, you know, I think that's uh, you have to accept that as you know you're trying to build a global company. That is one of the costs you have to incur. Uh, trying to save up uh, on on that initial talent, you know, simply handicaps you. Uh, it in fact sets up a core initial team uh, in the U.S. that is a lot weaker than than it should be. It it means it gets harder to attract more, more talented people later on. So so I think you really have to put your best foot forward. You really have to. Uh, be be willing to to do what it takes uh, to to attract good talent. Uh, uh, you know, taking shortcuts uh, you know invariably uh, sort of hurts. Uh, and I think uh, the the other question you asked is very relevant. Uh, you know, you know uh, when you build your initial team here, you know, you've started building uh, the core of a of a team uh, in the U.S. Um, you know, just because the way networks tend to work naturally, it's very common that the first one, two, three, four hires there might be of uh, Indian origin. Uh, again, I think you, you have to realize that uh, you are trying to build a global company. By the time you have six, seven people uh, in the U.S., you're now trying to attract uh, you know uh, the best talent available there. You obviously want to attract uh, talent of all backgrounds. 
um, you know, put yourself in their shoes. You know? I mean, you know, they walk into a small office uh, which has, uh, you know, s- seven Indians there. Uh, and then the bulk of the team, of course, is all in India. Um, you know, it, it does create natural, you know, sort of natural concern, right? And, uh, and uh, so, which is why you do, right from the get-go, you know, want to, to, to try and address some of these things and make sure that uh, uh, your office there, your team there is as, you know, sort of welcoming and as uh, multicultural. Uh, multicultural. And, uh, you know, because, you know, you, you are competing uh, for talent uh, everywhere. Uh, and you really want to try and uh, you know minimize as many you know, sort of concerns uh, as you can. And uh, unfortunately, you know monoculture you know stands out as um, as a concern. Got it. So two points there. Right? One you're saying is don't optimize and hire only for the sales. Our sales is not the first hire. I want to understand that a little bit more. And then uh, maybe even get a co-founder in the U.S. Multiple points there. And then build a culture which is uh, more open, especially in the U.S. If you could, we do that in India also. Get a multicultural <laughs> team. But uh, don't be branded as an Indian startup. Uh, not because there's nothing wrong with that, but you, you're competing with the best in the world. And, and if you're based in the US, as well, take advantage of the best talent from all of all cultures that you can afford to get. Is that uh, right? Right. I, I think you know today, unfortunately, you know India is not quite on the map uh, as as being this land of amazing product companies. You know, obviously, we're hoping we'll get there soon. But in the meantime, we are operating with a bit of a handicap, right? And and so, for instance, uh, perhaps an uh, an Israeli company, you know, where they have over time built this reputation of having you know incredibly talented uh, deep tech uh, teams in Israel. Uh, in Israel, and 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 so now you know. When, when somebody has an opportunity to join a company in Silicon Valley, which is the U.S. part of an Israeli company, uh, over years uh, they've actually now overcome that sort of hurdle. Right? You know, people treat it as, oh, you know, I mean, this is a, this is a world-class company. Uh, that's what we want to get to. Right? You know, when, when when people walk into a company and and when they hear that, oh, the headquarters are in India, you know, they shouldn't even flinch. Right? You know, I mean, there should be this instant uh, perception that ah, you know, a software product company headquartered in India is you know, about as world-class as as anything. Uh, and so I think all of us uh, have a role to play in in, in getting there. You know, us as investors, you know, entrepreneurs, you know, as we build uh, build these companies, uh, you know, it, it's almost a bit of this other responsibility that we that we have. You know, we're all trying to uh, trying to get India on this sort of global map yeah. uh, as a truly first class product uh, citizen. That's great. So, any other advice for cross border founders uh, who are starting out on this journey? I, mean, I, I think the real sort of summary is that if you're trying to build a global uh, company. I think you just have to get into that global mindset from from day one. You know, you you always want to keep an eye out for all the India advantages you can bring to the table, uh, but you also don't want to to sort of handicap yourself in 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 any way, right? You, you know, you have to realize that you know, uh, trying to address markets remotely already puts us in a slightly disadvantaged position. So you know, we have to do all we can to to overcome to that little disadvantage. Uh, but yeah, you know, you just think of yourself as as a true global CEO, as a true global. Uh, founder and and uh, you know have that permeate your thinking have that permeate uh, the thinking of uh, of everybody that you bring on uh, to the team. Um, so yeah, we, we I just I just think that you know uh, the amazing thing is we now have even compared to five six years ago today we have so many entrepreneurs who are so much more confident about taking on these global challenges and and that's just you know wonderful to see you know I mean there truly is this new confident entrepreneurhood who has you know absolutely no fear of the fact that uh, to succeed I have to take on incredibly well-funded uh, companies, uh, you know, in public companies. So it's incredibly heartening to, to see and, and, and you know, obviously for us as investors, we're, we're delighted uh, by that. Uh, and, and I'm hoping that in the next uh, few years, you know, we'll, we'll see many more examples uh, of, uh, of these things uh, succeeding and uh, and people no longer, uh, today for instance, when, when people hear that, uh, hear about uh, Browser Stack uh, being an Indian company, you know, one of their first reactions is that, oh, I didn't know Browser Stack was an Indian company. 
but 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 this, but the whole point about you know somebody sort of uh, having a bit of that oh I didn't realize that it was from India right uh, to me that's uh, well, uh, positive in some ways but also disappointing in some ways right you know that, that there was this instant you know sort of surprise that a world class product actually came out of India mm. so, so I think you know we're all working towards you know hopefully in two years uh, you know there, there should be none of that surprise right? it should be ah of course <laughs> yeah if it's from India then then it's it's world class uh, absolutely right? yeah, that's that's great. Maybe I'll quickly summarize if anything I missed you can fill me in. So at Axel, we're excited about three different kinds of market opportunities. One is mid-market opportunities, which you can hopefully service out of India in a reasonably uh, smart way, be it uh, discovery on the on the internet and inside sales led. But it's in all these categories, we're going after very smart entrepreneurs who really know the customers and the products that they're offering. The second bucket is verticalized SaaS. We talked about Xenier in that. There it could be world class product might involve some level of actual feet on the street selling also but there uh, uh, Dinesh talked about how do you take advantage of India maybe integrating uh, into the existing workflows of a larger uh, enterprise at a very fast pace use India as much as possible from an advantage point of view be it technical product uh, sales or marketing right and then we talked about niche SaaS opportunities MindTickle as an example when you're building any of these opportunities talk to a lot of customers uh, unless it's a really well-laid road where you have three products to compare against and you're building something superior, that's great. If not, the more customers you talk to as a founder, as one of the early team members, is going to help you get to product market fit much faster. And the the old thought of let's build it in India for the Indian market and then scaling it might not work because the new new enterprise customer is not only looking for the product, but you need to figure out how to reach that customer mess, messaging or marketing. And also, how are you efficiently going to sell to them? So you, as a new new age enterprise software entrepreneur, you need to think about all three in one box. And that's why it goes back to the earlier advice on as a founder, talk to as many customers and figuring out the whole purchase journey, right? Uh, not only the product, but also the purchase journey. Then finally, we talked about uh, how do we build more Freshworks and browser, browser stacks out of India so that when, when we say it's a software company, uh, especially if it's out of India, people should say, wow, that's then definitely it's going to be world class, right? So build teams that are from day one as founder, you think world, world is the stage here and build teams that are world class as multicultural as possible. Um, and and uh, don't be necessarily led only by sales and numbers, but more for this whole uh, broad set of things that we talked about. Anything I missed, Dinesh? Wow, that was a much better recap than I, I would have done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying. Great, so that's that's going to be the last podcast for 2018 uh, this year. Uh, hope you had a good 2018. Uh, wish you all happy holidays and hope to have you back next year. Thanks, Dinesh, for joining. Thanks for having me.